Welcome to Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Bruce Seeley. Today we have the new Hot Five in the studio. They're an American New Orleans-style jazz band that's gained a lot of attention since forming in 2009. They're on a pretty tight schedule with a couple of concerts and three three-hour recording sessions in the next couple of days. So big special thanks to each of you for being here. We've been looking forward to this for quite a while. I'm excited to hear you play. In 2011, the New Hot Five traveled to the French Alps for the Jazz on Vercors Festival. One day, while they were there, they passed a field of cows and decided to play an impromptu set for those bovine beauties. Somebody recorded the performance, and it has since been featured on Good Morning America, The Today Show, Conan O'Brien, Fox News, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, The Huffington Post, even NHK News of Japan and UK's Metro News. Wow. If you haven't seen it, you're one of the few. The video is there. Search Jazz for Cows on YouTube and it'll come up. Members of the new Hot Five are a bit of a cerebral bunch. We've got PhDs, an electrical engineer, a bona fide gear geek among them. They live in different parts of the country, so when they come together to perform, it's kind of like a mini reunion. The schedule's usually pretty full. Well, Let's talk to all of them after we hear some music. I'd like the, uh, to thank the folks at the Orem Public Library, that's in Orem, Utah, for helping arrange today's performance. They've uh, developed a pretty good performance series at the library, and it's worth checking out. To begin with, we have a song first recorded by Joe King Oliver. It's usually attributed to him, although some believe Louis Armstrong really composed it. Whatever, it's the Dipper Mouth Blues, played for us now by the New Hot Five. Thank you. 
Dipper Mouth Blues on Highway 89. I'm Bruce Seeley. You're listening to BYU Radio. Our musicians today are the new Hot Five with band leader and tuba player Steve Call, clarinetist Clark Burnside, trumpet and vocals Daniel Henderson, trombone is Will Kimball, and banjo Joshua Payne. And we've got uh, Clark to talk to us just for a minute now when he's not with the new Hot Five. Clark Burnside plays with the Poudre River Irregulars in Fort Collins, Colorado. You're also an electrical engineer, but you have more fun doing this. Absolutely more yeah. fun. This is a vacation for me. I've been <laughs> working pretty hard. It was nice uh, last Friday to leave home and go to Evergreen, Colorado to play in a jazz festival with the Poudre River Irregulars. And then Last night I flew into Provo, or, and it's just great to be with this band, too, today. That's great. That's great. Now, I, uh, you're pretty busy, I guess. They keep a pretty full schedule when you get together. You just had a trip to the Dominican Republic. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that was? Yeah, sure. It was uh, probably six months ago or longer that Daniel, the trumpet player, uh, got in contact with someone who knew someone who knew someone, and uh-huh. <laughs> that person knew the bride of, um, well, someone who wanted to get married, the bride, and she was looking for a band, for a Dixieland band. She wanted kind of a 1920s theme for her wedding in the Dominican Republic. And so uh, she asked Daniel. She had seen the YouTube video. She was a fan of the band. Um, so, yeah, they flew us all down to the Dominican Republic for a few days. We stayed in their vacation home. They, were, they just treated us really nicely. They took us sightseeing. Of course, we played the wedding, and, and that was a lot of fun, a little bit different yeah. in the Dominican Republic. But they really have a good time. They know how to party. Well, and so it was um, sort of great Gatsby time for you guys down there. Something yeah. like that? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, the, the wedding was at a nice hotel in Santo Domingo. Um, we played during dinner, and we also played for the ceremony. A little rain and wind kind of put a damper on things. But um, then they, they played their music until midnight or beyond, maybe 2 or 3 in the morning, I think, is when they finally ended. Well, now... Um, should we hear some more music? Okay, we're going to let uh, we're going to let Clark get back into position now, and uh, listen to a piece that was recorded for the first time in 1926 by Louis Armstrong and his his Hot Five. Here is the new Hot Five with Kid Ory's Muskrat Ramble. <laughs> Thank you. 
Come shuffle and the shuffle come down Rambling and scrambling and a heading for town Hopping and bopping and a buzzing around Happily awaiting at the station I look at the train, it's number 709 Hopping and bopping and arriving on time Who do you think is about to arrive? The band they call the new Hot Five They're gonna play that old muskrat The ramble tune Like the way you never heard it played Get ready for the big parade All together now one and two join that happy crowd telling me that rambling scrambling muskrat song come on let's ramble along We've just heard Muskrat Ramble by Edward Kidd Ori, played by the New Hot Five on Highway 89. I'm Bruce Seeley. Thanks for listening. We're going to talk for a minute to the band leader, Steve Call, who teaches tuba, euphonium, and jazz studies in the BYU School of Music. He's served as chairman of jazz improvisation competitions and as adjudicator for international tuba euphonium symposia, and he makes it look so easy when he plays all those things. Steve, how many, uh, how many different versions of the tuba or the euphonium or whatever do you play? Well, there are many versions of the tuba. I just returned from New England playing with a Civil War reenactment band, which we played. Uh, I played a contrabass sax horn, which was a very odd a Civil War era instrument. I play that. I play the euphonium, the baritone horn, the double bell euphonium. Uh, there's a whole uh, bunch of different instruments that uh, fit into the tuba family. But it is a family, so there's some similarities. And yes. as you as a, as a performer, uh -huh. are, they, are they really terribly different to, uh, to actually play? Well, they have different size mouthpieces. Uh, 
but I, I don't seem to have a problem with that. I've, I've always been able to just pick up various brass instruments and play them. And I, I'm not sure why, but uh, I don't have any problem going from horn to horn. It's a gift. And I know in the muskrat ramble there, I was noticing some tuba tremolo, tremolo that you don't <laughs> usually notice. People just think oompa and that's it. Yeah. Much different uh, for you. That's that's great. Um I want well, a couple of things I want to ask you, but I notice that your instrument today has some clips around the bell. Is that a re? What's that for? Well, uh, this is the instrument I'm playing today is called a recording bass, and it has a large forward-facing bell, and it was developed in the 19 teens and 20s, uh, before the recording technology was electronic, and so they had to have an instrument with a forward bell, and this was is perfect for recording, except the bell has a little few little wobbles in it, so those potato chip clips around give me a little crispier sound ah. and uh, deaden some of the extra noise around the bell. You have too much fun with what you do, I can tell. Hey, all of the musicians that are here today, I understand, were students of yours once? or is At that... one time, they were all students in some kind of ensemble that I have uh, taught at BYU. Uh, all but one were members of the BYU Jazz Legacy Dixieland Band. Well, that's that's pretty fun. Uh, now, this group, the New Hot Five, does that pay tribute to Armstrong? Yes, it does, and we hope it does. When we played in France, there was a very well-known uh, French trumpet player who came up to us after our set, and he said, uh, hmm, New Hot Five, isn't that a rather ambitious name for a band? <laughs> and indeed it is. But uh, the great recordings of the of the Hot Five and the Hot Seven that Louis Armstrong did in the in the uh, 1920s uh, are a body of work that are on the uh, I think on the same scale as is uh, Mozart's symphonies and Beethoven's string quartets. They are uh, cultural icons uh, of the era and their masterpieces, and we try to play that music and try to pay tribute to Louis Armstrong in the process. It's music that goes way beyond legend. Uh, Indeed. Yeah, and to keep that alive, what a challenge. And yet it's such a fun thing to do. Thank you. That's great, and you have a great time. Um, not often necessarily to hear a tuba in an arrangement like this. And here's a, here's a statement by a young tubist. Sometimes I sit in my school's auditorium and listen to the jazz band after school, and I'm pretty jealous, especially since they're going around the world to perform. I have the skill to be in that band. I'm already in the school's top band, and there are trombones in the jazz band. Couldn't I just play their part but lower? What would you say to uh, tuba, tubists, tuba players, who uh, want to follow in your footsteps? Absolutely. If there is a a young person who wants to play the tuba in a jazz group, they should have the opportunity to do so. In fact, I've I've done this many times when I was directing big bands and I had tuba players who were interested in playing. I would write a separate tuba part. Now, it doesn't work with all of the trombone parts. Uh, the trombone solely sections don't work uh, because the sound of the instrument is so different. It doesn't blend with the trombones. But the large ensemble sections, I try to find places where the baritone saxophone and the trom bass trombone are playing together and then reinforce it with the tuba and then open up some solo space for the tuba. Also, playing in traditional bands like this gives uh, uh, young tuba players an opportunity to play jazz. That's a great thing. And it's such a, well... Congratulations on what you're doing for the instrument and for everything else. Let's hear more about what the new Hot Five sounds like now. Thank you. Shall we? Uh, we're going to turn now to uh, to music by uh, Sidney Bechet. 
uh, who actually beat Armstrong to the recording studio by a few months with some of his music, but eventually they did get to work together. This piece uh, in English is called If You See My Mother. It is Sidney Bechet's Si Tu Vois Ma Mère. Here in performance once again on Highway 89, the new Hot Five. That is uh, Sidney uh, Bechet, or Sidney Beckett, depending, Si Tu Vois Ma Mère, performed live here on Highway 89. I'm Bruce Seeley. You're tuned to BYU Radio. And today in the studio, we have the musicians of the new Hot Five Jazz Band. Their albums are The New Hot Five and Jazz for Cows. The New Hot Five will play that thing. And band leader Steve calls The Joint is Jumpin'. Daniel Henderson, a part of the group, a trumpeter and vocalist and lecturer at the Harvard Music School. He teaches courses in jazz harmony and jazz improv and has been awarded the Harvard University Certificate of Teaching Excellence 
three times. Is That's that right. correct? Well, yes. congratulations. That's very good. Now, I want to go back uh, a bit. Uh, before graduating from BYU, you were part of an important discovery that I did not know about until this show, and this is pretty exciting. I think a lot of jazz music lovers still don't know about it, so uh, can we talk a little bit about Billy May? Who was he? And we'll get to the surprise in a moment. Just uh, give us some background, uh, possibly, about uh, what he did, and then the discovery that you were part of. Sure. Billy May was the ultimate behind-the-scenes musician, the guy that um, most people have not heard of, but they've heard his music many, many times during their life. Um, he was most famous, uh, if you could call him famous, as the, the arranger for Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Peggy Lee, Ella Fitzgerald, many of the great jazz and popular vocalists of the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Um, but he got his start as a trumpeter and arranger back uh, in the late 30s and 40s with the Glenn Miller Orchestra, Charlie Barnett Orchestra, and had a long, uh, very lucrative and, uh, and terrific career uh, as a Hollywood studio composer and conductor. And my personal connection is that he was sort of my early mentor as a jazz composer uh, while I was still a student here at BYU. So huge uh, inspiration to me. Now, something happened uh, to his music that uh, a lot of people think still happened. It disappeared. Can you tell us about that? Right, yeah. So sometime in the mid-1960s, uh, an executive at Capitol Records contacted the uh, its most prominent recording artist, Frank Sinatra, Billy May, all the other vocalists, and, and uh, apologized to them that uh, they had thrown away their entire archive of original manuscript scores. They just sent it to the dump without informing anyone. And uh, in fact, one of the musicians had watched, uh, had watched the, the truck be loaded up and just taken away. For decades, all those musicians believed that all of their music had been thrown away. We're talking 10,000 original manuscript scores. This is probably more than 100,000 pages of handwritten music. And uh, when I was an undergraduate student here uh, in the early 2000s, uh, I received an ORCA grant from the, the Office of Research and Creative Activities to create a catalog of the Capitol Records manuscripts, uh, which had been here at BYU under safeguard uh, for, for those decades. So uh, over the course of a few years, I created a catalog of about 5,000 of, uh, of the manuscripts. And uh, it was during that cataloging process that I realized that none of the musicians knew of the existence of this music. So it was my exciting job to actually get on the phone and call the families and let them know that the mu music existed. They were pretty blown away. Now, we're actually. talking about these Billy May manuscripts, right? The so. Billy May manuscripts, another uh, arranger named Nelson Riddle, uh -huh. uh, many of the Frank Sinatra manuscripts, uh, all of which were believed to have been thrown away, and now all of a sudden they are alive and well. BYU had been taking great care of them. They're in perfect condition. Did you um, get to tell Billy May about this yourself? Yes, I did. Tell me about that. He was very angry at first and then very happy. Uh, <laughs> it was this kid calling from Utah saying he has over 600 of my manuscript scores that I thought for decades have, have been thrown away. And, uh, but then we actually sort of got to be friends, and he sort of uh, took, took me in as sort of a mentoring relationship and let me visit him in his home and talk to me about uh, music. And um, I, I'd say it's, it's since that initial moment of anger, it's been nothing but joy on the part of uh, all the musicians out there to wow. know that these things are alive, that, that they're still around, and they're in great shape. Do you know how they got here? 
If these were on the truck to a dump, this isn't a dump. How did it get here? Do you have any idea? There are people that know more about it than I, than I do, but uh, from what I understand, there was uh, some mid-level executive at Capitol Records who was LDS and had a connection with BYU, and when he learned that uh, the the manuscripts were being sent to the dump, he uh, contacted somebody at BYU and said, would you be willing to take these in to your uh, archive? It's large, but would you be willing to? And BYU said, sure. Wow. And uh, they've stayed here ever since. Fabulous story. What a great connection with great history that you've got to have with that all the time. That's great. Daniel Henderson, part of the uh, new Hot Five. We're going to hear more music now from this group here on uh, Highway 89. We're going to hear two pieces. First, the 12th Street Rag by Uday L. Bowman. And then, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? Here's the new Hot Five. <laughs> to 
miss New Orleans and miss it each night and day. I know I'm not wrong. The feeling's getting stronger the longer I stay away. Miss the moss-covered vines and those tall sugar pines where mockingbirds used to sing. And I'd like to see the lazy Mississippi a hurrying into spring. Mm, the moonlight on the bayou, a Creole tune that fills the air, and I dream about magnolias in June. And soon I'm wishing I was there. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans when that's where you left your heart? But there's something more. I miss the one I care for more. I miss New Orleans Five playing do you know what it means to miss new orleans kind of a stroll down the street maybe it was that 
12th Street we were strolling on. Before that, they played the 12th Street rag here on Highway 89. This is BYU Radio. I'm Bruce Seeley, and we're enjoying another uh, evening, a time of great music. Will Kimball is uh, here now to the microphone. He's associate professor of trombone at BYU. He was a member of the Balcony Big Band in Pittsburgh and frequently performs with the Utah Symphony and recording sessions for ESPN and Disney and Discovery Channel. Busy fellow. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having Sharing me. Sharing your talent. It's great. You've got a kind of a big project on your way right now. That's uh, uh, a timeline of the trombone, and I've looked at it a little bit, and I've been surprised at what you have found to share with all of us. Uh, serious business back as far as the 14th century? Uh, 15th century. 15th, right. is it? Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, how did this get started, and how's it going? Uh, this was just a little historical project that I had for a brass literature class that I taught actually at another university. started out just as a short little two-page handout. And, uh, and then I had a student, uh, a, a former student at BYU uh, a few years later who um, came back and wanted to take some lessons but couldn't afford it, but he had some computer skills, and he said, why don't I help you get up a website? And we, we did a little trade, and I put this timeline up, and then I've just been kind of... Um, it's been just sort of a fun project for me. I've been chipping out, chipping away at it for a while now. Any surprises? Anything that, that has made you, as you've gone back and looked at this, at the role of trombone over the centuries, where you said, wow, look at this? Yeah, I, you know, actually one of the things I've been most surprised about has been uh, what we call iconography, which is just the way that the, the um, instrument has been depicted in visual art. Um, and there's quite a bit there, actually, from the uh, starting in the 1400s and, and going all the way through. For, for a couple of centuries there, trombone was known uh, primarily as a sacred instrument. And so there are uh, more than 50 uh, images of trombones uh, being depicted playing by, uh, being played by angels, actually. So, so it's not always of, a harp. <laughs> that's right, not always a harp. It's been kind of, kind of a surprise. Boy, the reputation has changed. I don't think anyone would think of a trombone in that way today. Yeah, more more sort of the opposite end <laughs> end of the spectrum now. Probably. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, now it's out there; people can go, they can see it. Uh, you have a, a website you said that people could look at this. That's what right. It? It's it's just Kimball Trombone, uh, KimballTrombone dot com, and it's the Trombone History Timeline. It's uh, over three hundred pages long now. Now, as that gets out there on the internet, have you had people respond, come and, and tell you, hey, oh, hey, look at this one? I have. I've had uh, quite a few people respond. Um, several people from the Historical Brass Society have contacted me and are interested, and, and it's been fun to kind of have, have an exchange with people around the world. Well, uh, a, a little bit about the trombone and your use of it here. I know that we heard uh, in that last piece some, uh, what do you call it, wah-wah. You've got, to, you know, you're making that sound uh -huh. that uh, you don't usually see that in a, in a normal use of the trombone. Tell people how you do it. So this is um, early, from the early 1900s, really, and um, we do use mutes of various kinds in classical music, but, but our use of mutes in classical music actually comes from jazz, primarily. And one of the techniques is, is what they call wah-wah technique, where um, I was just doing it with my hand here, but, but uh, you can use a plunger mute um, or a Harmon mute, and uh, this is an effect where you, um, it's a very vocal kind of sound, um, um, 
that you create. You heard it uh, in the trumpet and in the trombone in the 12th Street Rag. Well, Daniel uses the plunger. Right. You're using your hand. That's right. That's, well, that's right. great. It's so fun to have you all here. Let's hear some more music now. We're going to go back to a 1920s jazz standard with a new Hot Five as they give us Spencer Williams' Basin Street Blues here on BYU Radio. Mm-hmm. 
Basin Street Blues, performed by the New Hot Five Jazz Band. Steve Call, I think, taking some liberties there. That was great. You're listening to Highway 89 here on BYU Radio. I'm Bruce Seeley. Uh, Joshua Payne is uh, here. He's the string player of the group. Yes. Uh, banjo and guitar sometimes. Yeah, sometimes guitar. Yeah, all banjo today. Yeah. Uh, you also have your own orchestra, Joshua Payne Orchestra. Yes. Very nice. Uh, and I just noticed that the, the quintet, you're just having too much fun. <laughs> but it is such infectious music, isn't it? Now, yeah. Your banjo is quite attractive. Is oh, it, yes. Is it... Uh, you know, is it the banjo or is it one of many in your family? It's it's the only banjo I've got, and it's a really special instrument. Um, it was made by Epiphone in 1928 wow. on 14th Street in New York City, uh-huh. and it's very ornate. Um, the craftsmanship is unbelievable, uh, gold plating everywhere, uh, trim, a, a, a genuine space-age material at the time, plastic, uh, fingerboard. Wow. <laughs> it's all inlaid, all crazy. And, and to this day, modern guitars and banjos still use plastic trim um, because it, it goes back to the day when that was very uh, kind of a special material. <laughs> well, you must uh, take really good care of it. Well, you think. <laughs> yeah, you'd think that. Now, at the beginning, we talked about the uh, the famous uh, Jazz for Cows video at the beginning, and it uh, well, to talk about that a little bit. Had, had you used YouTube much before that went I don't, viral almost? It, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. But did you, you have, was YouTube much of a part of your lives before no, this? No, no. It, it was just, you know, we did this video, and, and Steve started sending us emails, and he's like, I think this video is going viral. And I looked at it, and we had like 50 views or something. I was like, ah. Didn't think so. Now it's but, what, 7 million? It's, yeah, it's over 7 million now. Yeah. And, and, and it just it just exploded. Like Conan O'Brien featured it on his TV show. They did lots of little skits about it and everything. And so it's just been crazy. It's fun to share that with all my friends and it's, stuff. It's really fun to read the comments. Uh, to assess the things from all over the world of inspiring people. Um, how long was the actual concert? Can you remember when you were there in the pasture? You yes. weren't in the pasture, I know, but <laughs> how long did it take? They stood there so attentively. Well, we, we had been invited to this very special blue cheese ceremony <laughs> in the French Alps. And, and that's where they've got all these guys dressed up in robes and everything. They march in and, and, and they're... they're they uh, they've got a special band and everything, and then and then this guy reads off like three or four pages of the specifications of their cheese, but but anyways, before that, we're uh, Steve wanders off into this cow pasture because he loves the animals and he loves the countryside. He starts playing his tuba, and just like magic, the cows just start gathering around him, like like they they loved it. And and then and then uh, everybody joined in. Somebody grabbed a camera, and it just became this thing. Now, now I joined in a little bit later in the video, and as soon as I started playing my banjo, a few of the cows turned around. Oh, did you take it personally? No. 
well, it's just a lot of fun, and uh, and we really appreciate you being here. And uh, we're going to ask you to do one more piece on today's show, if you would. Uh, probably everybody knows this one. I think I think it has its uh, roots in Christian hymnody, but I guess nobody really knows uh, by now, anyway. And does anybody really care? We're going to ask the band now if they'll play. Here's the new Hot Five performing When the Saints Go Marching In. Thank you. 
When the Saints Go Marching In, performed live on BYU Radio. And that concludes another hour of Highway 89. We've been very fortunate to have the new Hot 5 Jazz Band with us today. We have band leader, tuba player Steve Call, clarinetist Clark Burnside, Daniel Henderson doing trumpet and vocals, our banjo player Joshua Payne, and trombonist Will Kimball. The new Hot 5, an American New Orleans-style ensemble specializing in playing just music of classic jazz legends, wonderful. Their CDs are the new Hot 5, Jazz for Cows, Oh, play that thing, and Steve calls The Joint is Jumpin'. Steve, thanks so much for bringing the group and for being a part of it, and uh, just it's just always such a lot of fun. Well, thank you for inviting us. It's always a gas to come here to the studio and play for everybody that's out there in radio land. It's just great. Uh, wonderful to make music together once again. Thank thanks you. so much. We'd also like to say thanks to Elliot Wilcox and the Orem Public Library for helping to make this performance possible. We welcome your comments and questions. To contact us, email us at highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. The show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Bruce Seeley. Thanks for listening.